Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for each person who is here today. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. When I was a little boy, there was an an industry that's present now that wasn't present then. If you're my age and older, you've, you've seen the growth of this industry over the decades, and it's the bottled water industry. <laughs> when I was a kid, there weren't hardly any brands of bottled water. I think I looked up on an article, and there was maybe a dozen or so in the late 70s and 80s. But now there's been, since that time, an explosion of bottled water. In fact, one article said uh, there's about 195 brands of bottled water available in the United States. And some of these brands, you know, they're trying to get a market share, so they make claims, and some of them claim that if you drink their water uh, because they've added minerals and electrolytes, that it'll make you healthier. Uh, There's one brand of water that says that it might help you reduce fat if you drink their brand of bottled water. They're targeting different um, markets, so there's a, a bottled water just for male athletes, designed for the male athlete, the male body in mind. And there's even um, bottled water for your pets. (laughs) You can get dog water designed for your dog and you can get cat water. I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes uh, this morning if if that's what you do, but our dog Sonny will have to settle for the tap water. But, you know, all this bottled water out there and all these claims, but no brand of water dares to claim what Jesus claimed in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, when he is having this dialogue, this conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. He offers her living water. Living water. He says in uh, John 4.10 to the Samaritan woman, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's saying, I can give you living water. You ought to ask me for this. As they sit by Jacob's well. And then he describes this living water and what it can do and and what it does in the life of a person who's received this gift, this gift of living water. If you look down at verse 13, he says, uh, whoever drinks this water, meaning the, the water from Jacob's well, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. That this living water, Jesus says, that I can give you, it's, it will quench your thirst forever you will be completely satisfied. And then, not only that, he says that this this living water that he can offer her is going to be an an internal source of refreshment. He says, um, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain or a well of water. In him. So, This living water is is a gift. Jesus says, I have this gift to offer you. So it comes outside of the self, but he puts it in people. This living water will be an internal source. It will be like a well, a fountain 
that is always with you to refresh you. So it's completely satisfying. It's an internal source of refreshment. And it never runs out. He says it's eternal. It will be in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life or everlasting life. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? The woman says, that sounds good. Sir, give me this living water so I don't have to come back here every day to this well. Maybe she lived five minutes away, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes away. But every day, she had to go leave her home to get this water. She said, that sounds good. I would like this living water so I don't have to come back here every day. Where can I get it? Well, what is Jesus talking about here? In a later chapter in the Gospel of John, John 7, Jesus is at a festival in Jerusalem, in the temple. You have to think of it like this. There's tens of thousands of people likely around in Jerusalem during these festival days. It's like going down to Bush Stadium on opening day. I mean, lots of people, tens of thousands of people. A huge crowd is there. They're at a festival, the Feast of Booths. And John tells us that on the last day of the festival, uh, Jesus stood up on the last day of the festival, and said, Whoever is thirsty, let him come to me. Whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So here Jesus is standing up, making this great claim. By the way, what we see here in Jesus, with the claim that he's made to the Samaritan woman, and the claim that he makes at this great feast, I mean, the audacity of these claims. I have something to give you that will give you eternal satisfaction. If you come to me, I will give this to you. He says it to the Samaritan woman one-on-one, and here he's saying it to a large crowd. This is an audacious claim. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis says about Jesus. C.S. Lewis said that either he is a lunatic to make these claims, or he is a liar or he is Lord. But you can't have and say, well, I respect Jesus, but I don't believe some of these claims. Because somebody making these claims either is from God, or they're a lunatic, or they're a liar. But here Jesus is making these claims. And then John says this about the living water that Jesus offers. He says he was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The divine spirit of God, the divine presence of God. So what Jesus is saying to this Samaritan woman and to the crowd in Jerusalem and to all of us today is I have the ability, if you turn to me in faith, to put God's spirit within you. As you trust in me, you will receive this new life, the very spirit of the living God. You will be in relationship with him now and forever. And that will satisfy you. That will give you what your heart is longing for. See, Jesus is about an internal change in the life of a person. The philosopher Dallas Willard talks about 
Jesus came to start a revolution. A revolution, but not of laws or structures or externals. See, in our world today, we are very caught up in if we can just get the right laws in place, if we can get the right structures in place, if we can get the right rules in place, then we will achieve some sort of unity, harmony, utopia. And of course, we need good rules and good laws and good structures. But we all know it doesn't take long to look around and to live a little bit to say, it doesn't matter what kind of rules you have if the people following those rules want to break them. They will find a way. And the structures can have all kinds of accountability, but if the people's hearts are corrupt, they will corrupt the structure. And Dallas Willard, this philosopher, says, what Jesus offers is a revolution from the heart, changing people from the inside out. He offers an ongoing relationship with God in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that changes people's, here's Willard here, quoting from Willard, this changes people's ideas their beliefs, their feelings, and what they do with their body. Their bodily tendencies. It's an inside job that works its way out in how we live and how we think. And that's what Jesus is offering the Samaritan woman. A, a relationship with the living God through faith in Him. Through the work of the Spirit. Well, then Jesus goes on here and he uncovers her need for this. He uncovers her need for this. He's described the living water and then he uncovers her need for this living water. Jesus answered, or rather, Jesus says in verse 14, after she says, okay, I'll, I will take this living water, give it to me. And he says, well, let me ask you something. Go home and call your husband and then come back here and we'll talk some more about the living water. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And that's true. She, she's being honest here, but she's holding back. She's not being completely honest. Um, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You're correct in saying that. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. The man you're living with now is not your husband. Now, in this culture, if a woman has had five husbands, that doesn't mean that she's divorced the husband. Because in Jesus' day, women couldn't divorce the husband. The husband is the one who divorced. And so, likely what this means is this woman has had a lot of pain in her life when it comes to personal relationships with men. She's had some men who've died, probably, and she's had some men who have divorced her. So, she, she's, she has suffered a lot of pain in her relationships. And she's probably wondered, if she's gone through multiple divorce, what's wrong with me? Uh, people in the village probably wondered, what's wrong with this woman? You know? So she's had a lot of pain in her past involving these relationships with men. But then in her present, she's in a morally messy place. Because 
uh, she's had pain in the past, and now in her present, she's living with a man that she's not married to. And that, in Jesus' day, was considered a shameful, sinful thing. And uh, it's not considered that in our day today. But certainly from God's perspective, from God's design of marriage, God created marriage to be a reflection. Here, I want to just do a little sidebar on a Christian view of marriage because um, this is something we need to hear in our culture where there's so many different views of marriage and there's a lot of different tension around it. Sometime I'll give more attention to this. But let me just say this. What is a Christian view of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? Um, Christian marriage begins when a man and a woman stand before God and other people and make a promise to one another to be faithful to one another. The reason that is so important is that it's supposed to be a reflection of God's faithfulness to his people. In Israel, God called Israel his son and sometimes his bride. There's this familiar familial relationship that God has with his people. And it's a, it's a relationship that God is committed to. His steadfast love and his faithfulness to his people is a theme all throughout Israel. Even though they turn from him, God's not going to give up. And then Paul in Ephesians talks about how this relationship, how marriage, Christian marriage, is to reflect the relationship that uh, Christ has with the church. That Christ was committed to the church so much so that he died for the church to make the church his bride. And so marriage, Christian marriage, is to reflect this relationship of, of promise and commitment that God has with us. And in order to make that work, we need the promise to bind us together. And, and so that gives great stability to the relationship between a husband and wife, to make that kind of commitment, to bring all that into the, the marriage relationship. That's what binds it together. And, and so um, there's a design for marriage. There's a design and there's an order of marriage that God has given us in his word. And, and the, the, the sex drive that is so powerful needs these kind of bonds of faithfulness and promises before God and man to kind of hold it together so that, it's, that it can be a relationship that leads to flourishing and stability. Again, for husband and wife and then, if, if God wills, for the children that come along. That was a sidebar about Christian marriage and why God has designed it the way he did. And there's more that we could say about that. But we don't have time. So this Samaritan woman, however, like a lot of us, had a painful and complicated past when it came to her relationships. Painful and complicated. And a lot of us maybe can look back on ways that we've acted in the, in the past that we're not proud of when it comes to how we treated people in relationship. And what Jesus is doing here is he's uncovering something that she wants to keep back from, from him. He's uncovering it, not to shame her, 
but to heal her. He's offering her living water. It's like going to a doctor and you have a wound and you've got it bandaged up and you want to keep the bandage on because it hurts. You know, like a little kid, I'll change the, you know, they got the, the, the band-aid over their wound and they don't want mom or dad to open that up to take the band-aid off because it hurts, but it needs to be exposed so that an, a disinfectant and some water can come in and cleanse it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Not to shame her, but to open this place of her life up so he can pour in the living water, you see. The mercy, the forgiveness, the spirit, the cleansing, the wholeness. To say to this Samaritan woman, even though you're an outcast from a Jewish perspective, even though you have a lot of pain and a lot of shame in your life over this, I want to give you living water that will satisfy your soul. It's a beautiful thing that the Lord does. Have you seen that in your life, that there, there have been places in your life that you want to hold back, but when you, when you offer them up to the Lord, when you are honest with the Lord about this, that's when the healing happens. He cracks us open so He can pour in this living water. That's the way the Lord works. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you, St. Augustine wrote. And we prayed that today in our opening prayer. That's from St. Augustine. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. This woman has been restless and Jesus is offering her rest. I read um, in Christianity Today, the most recent article was talking about a young man who was living the rock and roll lifestyle. He wanted nothing more to nothing more than to be a rock star or a blues star and so he dedicated his life to that in his late teens and early 20s he got involved in the typical rock and roll stuff alcohol and drugs it got a grip on him and he said uh he was reaching a point in his career it was like a pinnacle of his career where he was able to have a a jam session, a concert, really, with some of his heroes in the rock and roll world and the blues world, including Chuck Berry, our own Chuck Berry. He had a session with Chuck Berry and some other blues guys. And he's, again, he's like, he, he says here, I was over the moon to meet these icons. But then the experience changed me in ways I didn't expect when he started meeting these living legends. He said, when I looked in their eyes... I realized music wasn't going to fulfill me. I saw emptiness in their eyes. Music would never fill my emptiness. And so what did he do? One night in his apartment, again, he's battling these addictions. And uh, he went through a box that he had from childhood. His mother was deceased and she had given him this box and put things together. And in that box was her old worn Bible. He said it was sitting under a chess set. I picked up my mom's old Bible, he said. It was worn, writing all over it. Began to read it. Began to read it. Began to ask God to come into my life. Began to experience forgiveness. Began to experience some new life. Jesus was pouring the living water into his heart as he read the Word of God. 
this life will not satisfy us because we're made for God. We're made for eternity. And Pascal said we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our heart that can't be fulfilled filled by created things. It's made for eternity. And so it's normal for us to feel dissatisfied with life because we're made for something more. We're made for life with God now and forever. And if you're here today and you feel dissatisfied and something is messing, hear Jesus say to you, I have living water to give you. If you turn to me in faith and trust, I will pour this into your life. If you turn to me and say, Jesus, I need what you can give me. I need forgiveness and I need the spirit and I need to know you more. He will pour that into your life and give you new life. Doesn't mean that you'll have complete satisfaction in this life because this life is falling. But you have the hope of eternal life and you have strength to live today. Well, Jesus, at the end of this um, story, his disciples come back and they offer him food and he said, well, I have food. And they said, well, who got you food? <laughs> They're constantly misunderstanding. They're constantly misunderstanding because Jesus likes to talk in these riddles that make people think and ask questions. And he says, I have food. You can keep your falafel or whatever it was they had. I have food. To do the work of the Father is, is my food. To do his will. Well, what is that, Jesus? Well, there's a harvest. There's a harvest. There's people out there, disciples. Look at the harvest. There's a harvest of people who are hungry for the bread of life and thirsty for the living water. And Jesus says to these disciples, will you lift up your eyes and look and see that there are people all around you like the Samaritan woman and these Samaritans that are coming who need this living water. And we'll just conclude thinking about that. As those of us who have drank this living water, the Lord would be saying to us today, can we lift up our eyes and can we see that there are people around us who are thirsty for what we have? We can point them to the Christ, to the living water, to the source of all this. Will we lift up our eyes? Will we see those who are outcasts? The Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They were outcasts. The Samaritans had uh, religious issues that the Jews, different strange beliefs that the Jews didn't like, and they were racially mixed. And so there was this religious racial tension with the Samaritans, woman, with, uh, Samaritan people. And so Jews did not relate to them. But Jesus did. Jesus stepped across that line. Who are the outcasts today that we might be uncomfortable with, that we could reach out to? What about this? Jesus put himself in kind of a, 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 a situation where he was willing to kind of be misunderstood. It was unconventional for a, a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman, to speak to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. Are we willing in our desire to share Christ to be uncomfortable to, to step across some lines that make us uncomfortable. To take risk. In your life, are you willing to lift up your eyes? Am I willing to lift up my eyes and see the people around that need this living water? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to do that. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this teaching that, that through him, we can know you through the Spirit. We thank you, God, that you've given this to us. Many of us here can testify how this has been satisfying in our life. 
And we pray that we would grow in greater satisfaction of this through our life, but also that we would lift up our eyes to see those who are spiritually thirsty around us. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.